And as you're turning there, I do want to say just a special thank you to uh, Nick, who led the music last week, and Caleb, who brought the message for us. I heard nothing but good things. Um, so I know you guys aren't being truthful. No, no, they did, a, they did a, an outstanding job. Very thankful for them. My wife and I had the opportunity to uh, go and spend some time with our, well, our youngest son went with us, so all three sons. It was like one of those moments where we were a family again, where we were all together, and we really cherished those times. Uh, but to see our oldest son uh, established in Duncan, Oklahoma, I don't know if you've said Duncan, Duncan, Oklahoma, to hear him say words like y'all, that's always interesting, <laughs> y'all. And uh, then to take some time with our middle son, Levi, and drive him to um, Kansas City, Missouri to look at a college that he's, he's praying about, uh, Spurgeon College. And so my wife and I, I was mentioning this earlier to Brian and Kim Vaughn, that through this trip, if you count the layovers, my wife and I and Asher touched six states in this trip. And we're like, how did we do that? From California to Nevada to Oklahoma to Kansas to Missouri, the back to Oklahoma, and then we, we had a layover in Colorado and then back to California. So if you count layovers, it's quite, it's quite, a, quite a trip, right? Anyway, I, I enjoy, we enjoyed our time, and I'm just thankful that the Lord has provided others to step up and, and uh, see the church move forward. Well, we are back in 2 Corinthians, and my title of this message is The Battle with False Teachers. Uh, Paul has been hinting at this a little bit, and now in this passage we'll read here in a moment, he just comes out, right, guns are polished and blazing. He's going to tell us exactly, right, who they are. They are false apostles. They are deceitful workers. They are disguising themselves, right? And he, he doesn't hold back from some very severe and strong language. And um, as we think about this, you know, you look at these passages and go, okay, well, we're not Paul and we're not the Corinthians. What does this message mean for us? And we know that we live in, in uh, as even in the Bible tells us, right, that there will always be false teachers. We have a real adversary, and his desire is to attack, to, to question or doubt, throw doubts or questions on God's word, upon his son, right? These things will always be attacked. And the Bible writes from a position of just assuming, right, there will be false teachers. So what are we to do, right? Well, how do we engage this? And one of the things that we see, and one of the reasons I went to 1 Corinthians 13 once again, is to see Paul uh, operate in love. Remember those verbs of 1 Corinthians 13? Love is kind and patient, and it rejoices in the truth. And we see Paul, right, being firm and not compromising the truth in any way. He is being kind, but yet dealing with the reality that there are those who want to mislead people away from Calvary. So he's very serious about this, and I think what needs to be impressed upon us is that there is such a thing as false teaching. There is, according to Scripture, it assumes it, there is objective truth. He writes with this assumption, and if this is true, that necessitates there are things that are false, and there's a responsibility for us in it. I think this was a very timely quote. This is a quote I'm going to read from A.W. Tozer. It just seems like it fits for what we're experiencing today. A.W. Tozer says this, We have gotten accustomed to the blurred puffs of gray fog that pass for doctrine in churches and expect nothing better. I thought that was funny because many churches use fog machines. They literally have, and I, you know, he's not saying that. But, but he goes on in his quote, 
from some previously unimpeachable sources, right? I mean, we, we used to come from these strong sources, are now coming vague statements consisting of a milky admixture of scripture, science, and human sentiment that is true to none of its ingredients because each, of, uh, each one works to counsel the others out. He says, little by little, Christians these days are being brainwashed. One evidence is that increasing numbers of them are becoming ashamed to be found unequivocally on the side of truth. That is happening today. He goes on and says, They say they believe, but their beliefs have been so diluted as to be impossible of clear definition. Moral power has always accompanied definite beliefs. Great saints have always been dogmatic. And then he adds, we need to return to a gentle dogmatism that smiles when it stands stubborn and firm on the word of God that lives and abides forever. Here, right, is what we see in Paul. Paul, in this passage, even though he's coming with stern language and calling out false teachers, he is not compromising the truth. He is standing. We see in Paul's own letters to the Corinthians, he has told them in the first letter in 15, I believe, 58, to stand, stand firm. He tells the church in Ephesus multiple times, stand, therefore, stand firm. Don't let anything knock you off the course. And yet Paul becomes this powerful illustration for us in dealing with false teaching and false teachers to simply stand. Be dogmatic because right, eternity is in the balance. So Paul says this. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll read verses 12 through 15. And he says, But what I am doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For, right? He just comes out and tells us, verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, right, here's his so what. What are we supposed to do with this information? Therefore, it is not surprising that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, as we open your word now, I ask, God, that your spirit would be with us, teaching us, instructing us, what we are to understand, impress upon us, Lord, the seriousness of doctrine, of teaching, that we should not be flippant about it, but that we should be always maturing and growing in understanding. Impress that upon us today, Lord, and get me out of the way. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, right, that we had Easter, and of course this was uh, last week and then Easter, and then we touched on those messages Seems like a long time ago already, doesn't it? Um, 
And we saw, right, that this driving love, how can Paul tell the the Corinthians in uh, verse 11, why, because I do not love you, God knows I do. And we, I took that and said, well, how do, how do we know that we can love someone and yet not compromise the truth? Well, we looked at 1 Corinthians uh, 13, and we saw that love is kind and love is patient. And for those who struggle with patience, that's, that's a tough one, right? Oh, man, really? That had to be in there? Yes, it's patient. Why? We desire those to come to repentance. We're going to be patient, and Paul has been patient, and now Paul is dealing with this church and with these false teachers. He's not going to let them come, right, and, and destroy what he has planted, We saw in 1 Corinthians 13 that love rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes, hopes, endures. It doesn't fail. Why would Paul say this? Is because the love he's talking about is not warm fuzzies. right? It's not warm fuzzies and emotionally. He's talking about the reality of an eternal destiny. There is a love in which God has loved the world, right? And it is Christ. It's what we think about him, and yet he comes and he realizes that with love and with kindness with him, he's dealing, he's not compromising the truth. Because this is our reality. Just as Paul is struggling with it, we too today are going to struggle with false teachers. And we're not talking about those who make mistakes. I'm talking about those who actively teach a false gospel. But just so you know that Paul's not the only one who touches on this. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, says this, But false, false prophets also arose among the people, just as, they, uh, just as there will also be false teachers among you, uh, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. That sounds like Peter is saying a little bit more, right? Firm language. Listen to Jude in Jude 3 and 4. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, right? Believers contend, stand earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and lord jesus christ so we see right this is the reality they can creep in unnoticed false teaching right is is something that happens the bible assumes this and so as believers what must we be doing well we should have a bible right number one and we should have it open is what the pastor saying is it true? Now, in this case, Paul is dealing with active false teachers, those who are claiming to be of Christ. I'm of Christ. I'm, a, I'm an apostle just like Paul. And Paul is not going to allow them to come on the same level with them. They don't hold the same authority, even though they're claiming it. And Paul is battling these things. So what do we learn? 
What do we need to understand? Well, the first thing I simply said, well, this is an ongoing battle. Verse 12. Dealing with false teachers, false teaching, it's ongoing. We're not talking about, again, those who make mistakes. We're talking about those who, in essence, are loyal, right, to Satan, right? They're, they mimic the things that Satan would do. That's what Paul is saying. But in verse 12, he says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do. Paul is not yielding. He's not compromising. And he's actively working and writing to say that I will cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. There are those who want to claim this, right? We're apostles too. Some want Paul to take, remember that whole struggle as we work through that of, of his language wasn't the best, so we, you, know, you really can't trust him. And then they accused him of not taking money for speaking, right? Remember that whole deal. He doesn't take money, right? And so there's an element where they want Paul to take money so they can say, look, we're all the same in this. And Paul, what is Paul doing? I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to do that. I will continue to do what I have done. I will continue to preach without asking for money. Paul has a grip on who these people are, right? Very important. So we have these, as he says in verse 5, what he calls them, these eminent apostles, right? And in this passage we read, he's going to just come out and tell us they're false, right, apostles. They don't come close to Paul's ethics, uh, they don't come close to how he has demonstrated Christian love. They desire what, what Peter was telling us, right? Money. They desire title. What Jude was saying, right? Licentiousness. This is what that drives them. It's not what Paul's ethics are and Paul's love when he's kind and patient and rejoicing in the truth. They're not rejoicing in the truth. So Paul has a purpose, right? He's going to come. He's going to deal with their allegations. He's going to continue this ongoing fight, this ongoing battle. We might find ourselves being worn down and struggling through situations of life. We may have come to this moment or moments in life where we just want to quit. And we would think that this is one of those moments where, Paul, you've been, you've been kind of kicked around quite a bit. You've been the whipping post of this church on many different accounts. That he is not yielding. What does that tell us about the importance of doctrine? And it matters, doesn't it? You now Paul is defending himself, and I've said this many times, not for his sake, even though he's dealing with them, saying he's not, they're not like us, we are different. But he realizes the gospel is at stake. If they identify with Paul, now they can say a lot of different things. So Paul is cutting off the opportunities. They desire to be numbered amongst the apostles. He's going to cut this off. Now I think there is a simple lesson right here for us to grab hold of. Usually in moments where we are standing for the truth or we're standing against false teaching, most likely though we're, we're going to be as Christians full of grace and mercy. We're going to be the ones who most likely will compromise. I, I think that's what we see happening in the church. Yeah, I know that's not the right thing. Yeah, the pastor was a little off. Or, uh, you know, he, he said this, but I don't think he really meant that. We are the ones who will compromise. Sometimes you may hear a pastor preach something and go, well, no, I'll correct it in my head. I think this is what he meant to say is this, and you'll correct it and feel better about yourself. In reality, that's not what he said. I think we see a lot of this with a misunderstanding about love. Love. Jesus came to just show us how to love one another. Well, yeah, he did. 
called us to repentance. Why? Because we're sinners. They seem to omit that. And so we go, well, yeah, he omitted that, but it's, you know, he's, it's fine. So do you see in Paul's activity here, he's not compromising. He's writing a letter and he's not compromising. He's told them he's going to show up, and if they're still there, he's going to deal with it. What does that show us about the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Remember, Paul's not coming with a, with a bat in his hand or something like that. He's coming in with the attitude of kindness and patience and endurance, but he's going to speak to the reality of God's truth. He's not going to let them come on their same level. I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to come there. They are false. So you and I, right, in this world we are dealing with a battle. The enemy is going to bring in, right, in different ways, teaching that is false, which means we must understand what is true. And this is why I think Paul tells the young preacher Timothy, right, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I think for us there needs to be some grit, right? There is a reason Paul writes in Ephesians about the armor, Tells you to put it on. Why do we need armor? We're going to battle a lot of different things, aren't we? And one of them is actually teachers with inside the church. False ones. There was a story about Andrew Jackson when his friends, his boyhood friends, were talking about him. And they couldn't believe that he actually grew up to be not only a general, but a president of the United States. And they were discussing amongst themselves that uh, we knew other kids our age that were smarter than him and, and were even better than him. And as they discussed this, they talked about one in particular, this guy named Jim Brown. Jim Brown lived down the corner away, and he could always beat Andrew Jackson in wrestling. And in fact, one of them said, well, he's even, he was even smarter. He was tougher, right? He was just a better guy. I don't know how Andrew Jackson became president. And so they always talked about the matches were always, you know, they always did three matches. But every time Andrew uh, Jackson would want to wrestle, there was always a fourth. And as they began to discuss this, they were like, well, why was it a fourth? Because Jim would always beat the first three, but Andrew seemed to always win the fourth one. And they went on to discuss amongst themselves the fact that Andrew wouldn't quit. And he wore Jim out. I think sometimes in our walk with the Lord, we just have to have that kind of gumption. You're in a battle. God's word matters. You're a part of it. We must know what truth is. It's ongoing. So from there, Paul, just simply my points are, he starts to tell us, right? The battle's ongoing. That's kind of a verse of transition a little bit. And then he just goes, here's what you're dealing with. In verse 13, the battle involves confronting purposeful. I just put purposeful deceivers. He tells us four. Here's a reason. Such men are false apostles. This is what they are. They're deceitful workers. They're leading you away. They're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. It means they've got the right language. They sound like Christians. They smell the right smell of essence of Christianity, right? Well, they wouldn't. This person would never lead us astray, right? But in reality, they are not. They're disguising themselves in which Satan becomes the illustration momentarily. And we've seen in this, beginning in verse 4 of this chapter, where Paul has taught them already, right? He's written already about the reality of there can be false Jesuses. 
He tells them, you guys bow down. You just believe a false Jesus. You believe a different spirit. You buy into this idea that there's another gospel. And now he comes and tells us, look, there are those who are claiming to be uh, apostles of Christ who are false. I mean, that's kind of upping that, right? Not only are you guys buying into this, but you have guys who say they're apostles of Jesus. They disguise themselves. You see Satan here in a moment in the next verse is an angel of light, servants of righteousness in verse 15. This is what they're doing. So Paul says, look, this is what you're up against. It's not a little trifle thing that's happening in the church. It's, it's not a matter of something you just go over, look, well, it's okay. No, this guy is false, right? The word means, apostle means sent out one. And this encompasses the idea that they're sent out by God himself. There's authority attached to that. So you're allowing within your ranks those who come in as if they're coming from God himself. They've got a word for you. Let me tell you about what this is. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Why? Because they're not pointing it at Calvary. They're not rejoicing in the truth. They're saying something else. He says they're deceitful. They're, they're leading you away. They're tricking you. It's interesting here, this language, Paul doesn't use this word, I don't believe, anywhere else. He uses it here, deceitful. And right now, we should, and they should, the Corinthians should go, well, they're disqualified. Boom, gavel down, get them out of the church. That's enough, right? The Apostle Paul planted the church, they're deceitful, get them out. That's the seriousness of his language. But these guys have disguised themselves. What does that tell us? very purposeful in what they're doing. Paul will tell Timothy, and he talks about all kind of manners of men in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. He says, you know, tell him the pastor, hey, realize this. In the last days, there will come, right? This is the generality of those outside, but you'll find them in the church. He says, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, Unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, uh, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's what we see, the parallel to Paul or to Peter and to Jude. Those are false teachers. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid them. Right? Pastor, wake up. Timothy, wake up. Avoid these. They're, they're coming in unnoticed. They need to come to Calvary and repent. And Jesus says this, right? That's not enough. Our Savior says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Right? What are they teaching? Jesus says, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. He tells us that, right? It can't fool us. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. This is what the end is for them. Then Jesus says, so then you will know them by their fruits. Why is this important for us to understand? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. 
And today there's a lot of different Jesuses floating around. We want to be sure that we find the one who was born sinless in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, who went to the cross and atoned for our sins. See, James, I think, in our study on, on Saturday morning, which will begin next week, men, uh, we'll be back at it. James hits at this reality of wisdom from below and wisdom from above. He says in James 3, 15 through 18, this wisdom, right, this, these false teachers, this deceiving, he says it's not that which comes down from above. He calls it earthly, but it's earthly, natural, demonic. Isn't that what Paul's parallel here? No wonder, Satan, right? It's demonic. James goes on and says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But he contrasts the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. Unwavering, without hypocrisy. It sounds like wisdom from above rejoices in the truth, doesn't it? So here's the reality, right? These are what's coming into your church. There are those who are false. There are those who have another agenda, even though they sound good and they're asking the right questions. They look like Christians. They use the right language, right? They have eloquence. They have what is needed, but they're not there for what you think it is. It's like the story of a, of a young man who just started a new business in an investing house and uh, some people found out that him and his young wife were expecting their first child, and every day he went to work, there were many who were asking, how's the wife doing? Is the baby close? And he just was overwhelmed that so many people took such a concern for him and his wife being new to this uh, place of work that they were interested in his child and his wife being okay. Hey, when's that child coming? He later found out there was just some, some bets going and they were trying to see when the baby was going to be born. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about the sincerity of him, his wife, or the child. It was about winning a bet. So Paul says, look, this is a battle that's ongoing, right? So wake up. Be aware of it. You are dealing with those who are purposefully deceiving. They know what they're doing. They're coming with bad theology. We're not talking about those who are making mistakes in our Bible studies. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about people who consistently are bringing, purposely bringing bad theology. So now Paul doesn't hold back, even though he's already told us. I mean, this is it. And he says in verse 14, where I say, we have to understand their demonic loyalty. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We see throughout Scripture this parallel, right? This is what Paul is doing. This shouldn't surprise us. A believer, right, who has repented, who's come to Calvary, and you're full of the Holy Spirit. We show solidarity to Jesus, don't we? Jesus told us what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He will speak of Jesus. What does the Holy Spirit do in your life? Well, it starts shaping you the image of Jesus. You pick up that cross. God, Jesus' commands become a delight to you, right? The pursuit of holiness. This is just what starts to happen. Your life is changing, Right? This is what happens to a believer. What do we see on the other side? Who is their father? We see the same thing. They hide it. They disguise it. But they are loyal, not to Christ. There's only two spiritual families. If they're not loyal to Christ, whether they know it or not, who are they loyal to? 
the God of this world. So Paul says, no wonder, look at Satan, right? He's a celestial being who opposes God. He opposes God's purposes. He opposes God's people. He opposes God's kingdom. Guess what? He opposes you. He's against you. He, does, he himself disguises himself, right? As we see throughout this thing, they disguise. Guess what? Satan also disguises himself, and he does it as an angel of light. Now, why? I ask this question again. Why is it important? You know the difference between white right and good doctrine, and that is pure, and rejoicing in the truth and doctrine that is false. Because, man, it can be packaged from an angel walking around in the light. Many of us would go, that's good. Well, he's, man, he's shining, right? It's interesting here that there's no fellowship with light and darkness. And it shows you the, 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 power, the power of his deception. Satan appears as an angel of light. Satan was known before the fall, right? Before he was kicked out of heaven as Lucifer, the light bearer. And by falling and being rejected because he desired, right, to be worshipped equal with God, he becomes, right, the prince of darkness. This is who he is. And it's interesting, he assumes, right, to some extent, a good spirit. He's able to, to project himself as one of us, one of a believer, a Christian of sorts, why we must be discerning. Like John says, test every spirit to see if they are of the Lord in John, 1 John 4. And, and Satan continues, what is he doing? He's frustrating the purposes of God's kingdom, of God's children. He has uh, the power to perform great miracles and miraculous signs. We see that in Revelation. He has the power, as even Jesus said, uh, to deceive and, and almost to the point of uh, even the elect, if that were possible. So he's good at his, at his deception, isn't he? Jesus tells us about him. He says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He doesn't rejoice with the truth, right? Because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, here's the reality. When Satan is around, we don't smell the sulfur. We don't see the, the cloven hooves, do we? We don't just immediately go, hey, look out, that's Satan. He's a deceiver. He wants to wiggle his way in ever so subtly. The Muyeso's Sunday school class went through, I believe, the screw tape letters a while back, and I'm thinking about that and the quote where screw tapes his his counsel to wormwood he says indeed the the safest road to hell is the, the gradual one the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings without milestones without signposts this is what he wants to do see we have to understand that this false doctrine right of these false teachers has a demonic element. It doesn't lead you to Christ. James says, any, any that leads you away, it's not that it becomes demonic when it's way over there. It's just a slight off. He says, that's demonic. Because if you follow that trajectory, you're nowhere near the cross. It's leading you away. 
So what does that do for us? We come to the therefore. Here's Paul's conclusion. As Steve Lawson likes to say, I was at a conference yesterday with Steve Lawson preaching, and he said that uh, the therefores are the so what, right? He just told us, so what? If you ever heard Steve Lawson preach, he's pretty animated. It's good. He's got a point. This guy's the hit. It's outstanding. He has the thought. But this is Paul's so what, right? I mean, he's walked us through this. What, what is it for us? I think what I put in my notes here is the battle involves you have to acknowledge, you have to, to be engaged in this. You can't be passive, right? We have to acknowledge their doctrine. It is. This is the reality of it. It is demonic. He says in verse 15, therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And here's the end, whose end, right? So we've seen it throughout scripture. Where are they going? It's, it's not eternity in heaven, it's according to their deeds. And they want to lead as many away from Christ to this type of destiny. So you have to not be passive. You have to understand something about doctrine. And you have to be those who say, you know what, that's not true. Let me help you with kindness and patience. Because that is love. See, as Christians, we've experienced God's amazing grace. We're compelled to extend that to others. And unfortunately, that grace sometimes leads us to overlook the reality that what is being taught is actually demonic, like James would say. Oftentimes we correct it, as I mentioned earlier, we correct it in our minds. Paul's conclusion here, brothers, sisters, do not be surprised. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. See, these false apostles want to be ministers of justice. They want the final word. They want to tell you who they are. And even though they're false, they want to be known as those who are servants of righteousness, not unrighteousness. We might be tempted to simply say, well, let's overlook this, overlook that. No, you cannot do that. Yes, there's areas of doctrine we can show grace in when it comes to Calvary. Man, we cannot compromise. So what should we look for? What's a telltale sign of false teachers? Number one, these are three things I'm sure you could add to this. I just put down out of the gate, do they actually teach from the Bible? That's a sure indicator. If they paraphrase everything, right, how do we know it's true? The Bible is our plumb line. If we stack all our doctrine against the Bible, we should see if it's true or false, right? Is the Bible open? Is their response to, to situations of life is what does Scripture say? Is it written, right? That's how Jesus dealt with Satan. It, it is written. This is what the Bible says. Is that what it is, or do we see paraphrases? I mean, we can make a lot of things true. I mean, keep that Bible shut, right? And, and I can make up some stories and cite a few proof texts here and there, and I could be very creative. And, and if you weren't sure, I could probably get you to believe a lot of crazy things. Again, why you must own a Bible and have it open, right? Do they open the Bible? False teachers aren't going to point to Scripture. They want to lead you away from it. Second thing is, if the Bible is open, what are they saying about Jesus? Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, as Peter proclaimed when Jesus asked that question, who do you say that I am? 
is Christ the central figure, right? The, the only way of salvation is he lifted high to say it's only through Christ he is the way, the truth, the life. Is the substitutional sacrifice, his atoning death, is it unimportant to them or is it important to them? If they're negating sin and not talking about sin because they want to be seeker sensitive, I guarantee you, you've run into somebody who's not going to talk about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus because it's not necessary. Uh, we don't need that if we're not talking about sin. Do they reject or even talk about his active obedience, his fulfillment of the law? Is it neglected? What do they say about his deity? A lot of heresies throughout time. And I think the third thing I would say is, if the Bible is still open, praise the Lord for that, and if it is open, what do they say about the gospel? Are we earning our way into heaven? Or do we see the, the soul activity, work, life, death, resurrection of Jesus as the only means? You know, it's popular today, and many churches will substitute for the gospel things such as, well, God loves you. He loves everyone, right? He wants you to be happy. He wants your good life now, your best life now. We've heard that one. Uh, God wants you to, to go out and feed the hungry. Yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's good. It's not the gospel. God wants you to be wealthy. I don't know about that. I don't see anywhere that in the scripture. God does provide for us and take care of and meets our needs, doesn't he? But I don't know if he wants you to be healthy. I think he wants you to be holy. What do they say about the gospel? Because the reality is, and again, I come back to so what. So what is because those who believe false teaching, those who believe the, the doctrines that is, in essence, demonic, the end will be equivalent and according to their deeds. They're not apostles of Jesus Christ. They're not Christian. They are of the devil whether they understand that fully or not. They're not laboring for Christ. The end is points to the final judgment. Paul has told us in chapter 5 of this letter, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. See, doctrine matters. You and I are going to stand in that moment. Stand before our Creator. What you say about Jesus and how you know Him eternally matters. See, the gospel is the fact that you and I will live our lives and come to a moment at that we stand before Him. And we'll stand there either on our own justification, on our own life, and we'll say, I was good enough. Or we'll stand there and we'll point to Christ and say there was a substitute. My mediator, Christ alone, has saved me. It is his perfect righteousness imputed to me. And what did I bring to this great exchange? My sin. So it's not enough, church, to simply acknowledge this is a false teacher. When we come into contact with them, there is an activity. Paul desires that the Corinthians would not be those who are passive, but deal. I think there is an expectation in Paul that when he shows up that these false teachers have already been eradicated out of the church. I think that's his desire. 
So let us be those, right, who understand, who have our Bibles open, who are growing and maturing in the faith that when some smiling, well-dressed preacher shows up and says, you can have it all now, your best life now, we could say, hey, hey, hold on there a minute. I don't want my best life now. I want my best life in eternity. How do I get there? Let us be those who don't get sucked into the idea that there is another Jesus, a different spirit, or another gospel. Let us be those who are pointing and helping those who are lost or confused to the real gospel, to the real Jesus, who eternally loves. That's why Paul says love is eternal. It doesn't end. The greatest is love. Why? Because it's eternal. See, if the modern preacher today fails to preach God's revelation as it's unfolded through his word and he substitutes his own views, he's not fulfilling his calling. If he tells stories and pretends to be some type of social or political uh, advocate of some sort, if he advocates critical theory or social justice, he is disobeying the sender who sent him, Christ. Paul tells that young preacher, preacher, right? Timothy, preach the word. And be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience. There's our word, right? Love, kindness, and instruction. So for us, right? Realize, brothers, sisters, the battle is ongoing. We wrestle against those who purpose, purposely desire to, de- to deceive. Whether they know it or not, their loyalty is ultimately demonic. It's attached to Satan and his efforts. And their doctrine does the same. It leads us away. See, A.W. Tozer was right. What does the church need today? It needs more great saints who will be dogmatic. He says we need to return. We today need to return to a gentle dogmatism kindness and patience and we will stand with a smile on our face with a backbone stiff by the power of the Holy Spirit and not deviate from the word of God we're going to close by singing this it's a, I guess it's a hymn or a chorus of sorts ancient words I just want to draw your attention to two of the verses. Listen to these words, right? What do we have in Scripture? Holy words of our faith handed down to this age came to us through sacrifice, so heed the faithful words of Christ. And verse 4 says, Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world, they resound with God's own hearts. The ancient words. <clears throat> this needs to be who we are. This is a hymn of, of acknowledgement to the power of God's word. This is what we see as Paul is standing firm. See, he's towing the line, not letting those slip away from Jesus. Let this be our confession. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the time you've given to us to simply assemble. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and open your word. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, not to just open your word, to hear it, to be challenged by it, to be convicted by it, but to sing your truth, or to hear your truth read, to hear your truth prayed.
Lord, is our desire to be true to it. Lord, I'm so thankful that you have grace and mercy, and, that, and the passage is not talking about those moments where we might misunderstand a passage. It's talking about those whose loyalty is nowhere attached to Christ, but it's attached to Satan. So we pray, Lord, for the church. We pray for these, the countless pulpits that have succumbed to teaching that came in unnoticed. We pray for a revival again. pray for an awakening back to the truth of your word and that us as a congregation, Lord, would, would not settle, would not accept anything less but to see Christ and see, see him lifted high, to see your word open, to see it preached. So Lord, lead us that way. Encourage us, strengthen us, edify us, Father. Feed us well from your word, I pray. And as we close in song, let this be our confession to trust ever more so of the reality of your truths and your word. And we pray this in the, just the wonderful, awesome name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you're here this morning and you have questions regarding the sermon or what it means to follow after Jesus uh, in a saving way or just an obedient way or a sanctifying way, you're struggling through something, I'd love to help you. Um, if there's something you'd just like me to pray for you about, I could pray with you this, this morning up here or if you just put it in the connection card, I'd love to pray with you and encourage you any way that I can. Um, but we're going to close by singing this song, Ancient Words, and I just encourage you, uh, sing it as, as a, a sort of confession. Lord, this is what we have. And let your word be ever, ever more so true in our own lives. So if you would, stand with us. Uh, let's close by singing this. <laughs>